This is a Momentum Media production. Welcome to the Pure Property Podcast. Whether you are considering buying your first investment property or reaching property mogul status, we dissect the fundamentals through to large-scale property development and everything in between. I always smirk when I hear that uh, bass guitar riff. Uh, it's a bit Seinfeld-esque, to be honest. Yeah, I don't know if it's uh, it actually copyrighted. Is. I didn't ever <laughs> thought about it. <laughs> Paul Glossop, the Pure Property Podcast, joining me in the studio. Um, you're a bit Seinfeld, aren't you? I, yes, I love it. It yeah. puts me to sleep most nights. You still watch still, it? Still, still yeah. to this day. Yeah. Every repeat I can find. It's a bit habitual for me. I typically catch about three to six minutes every night before I go to sleep. I don't know why, but it's been that way for a long time. That, between that and... The in-betweeners. Oh, do you like the in-betweeners? I, I, I never got into it. I don't know why, but it was something that at some stage in my life, a fair bit earlier in life, it was a good couple of decades, well, not a couple of decades, almost 15 years ago, I remember living in the UK and at that time it came out and it was just, it was a point in life where it just, it, I found it very funny. Okay. I haven't, haven't fooled I've got to give it a go. It's, uh, it's, uh, I quite like my British mm. humour. I'm a big fan of Only Fools and Horses. I don't know yep. if you've ever watched yep. that. Uh, hello, hello, all the classics. Definitely uh, hello, hello. Yeah. You, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't find hello, hello. the stuff. Anyway. But you can't find it anywhere. It's so locked up, so tight. Yeah. I think there's only one of the streaming services you could actually find hello, hello. Whereas Seinfeld, it's everywhere, right? Yeah, it it's, is. You go into, it's funny you say that, I went around to my mum's house mm. maybe last week and I, it's a property podcast, by the way, everyone. Stay with us. We'll work out where we'll this is there. going. We'll get there. Yeah. She I lived do, in a house, did she? Yeah, there you go. She did. Yeah. And she still does. Yeah. And uh, it was, um, I remember vividly growing up, and you probably you might have, and some listeners might have similar things, Murder, She Wrote yep. seemed to be on, on repeat in my house. I, and this was back before you had anything that you could actually pay for or stream, mm. et cetera. And I went to my mum's house and there there it was, same thing, the same introductory sound yeah. and the same, essentially the same shows. It was just like a Mills and Boone novel. It was the same thing, different. And then just after that came on a low, a low. And when it, when it finished up, and then it was, I think it was on Foxtel at the time. And I was like, I haven't, and a good morning. Yeah, and good a, morning. Yeah. <laughs> and oh, I, was, really? then I, was like, I haven't seen that since I think I lived in my mum's house, you know, back in early 90s. And it was the who's, last time I Who's your favourite Hello, Hello character? I can't, I tell you, I wasn't into it the same way you were, but yeah. the main man, what was his name? Oh, Rene. Rene. Yeah, Rene. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it, it was pretty much him. He's probably the it only character. Yeah. I, I quite like Gruber. Gruber is the guy with his little tank. Yeah, yeah. He's, he always had his a, his yeah. fatigues on, yeah? Gruber, yeah, he's yeah. The, the, the German, yeah. Yeah, quite yeah, a flamboyant yeah, yeah. character. Yeah, 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 yeah. I um, get you. What, 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 favourite Seinfeld character? Uh, little Kicks. Yeah. I like that one. Okay. It's probably because it's probably the most recent one I watched with mm. Elaine, um, but they're all, mate, I, I can't fault much of it. The yeah, early stuff, actually, good. you get we watch season one, it starts to question a bit, how did this get off the ground? But then it got really good really quick. Yeah, well, there you go. Um do you have a property Newman, someone that always scuppers you, your nemesis? And There's a few buyer's the traps. agents out there around the traps that I think we probably share each other's Newmans yeah. in life. <laughs> 
where I asked the agent, hang on, why have we missed out on that? Who bought it? And a few names come up and, and it's always, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, there is, there is such a no, thing. No, there is. Property. And then there's text messages exchanged to that buyer's agent, vice versa. I get them every now and then. My team certainly do get them every now and then. And I like it because it's good camaraderie. And it also tells me that uh, typically it's, it's, it's usually one or two or three of the uh, usual suspects paying. And I always like it when someone buys it, something that we don't to a degree as well, because I do share a bit of uh, a bit of banter with them because they typically paid more than we were prepared to pay. So. And what do they say? Well, this is what we priced it at. Yeah. And I yeah. said, well, well, your clients missed out, unfortunately. They overpaid yeah. once well, again. What's, uh, give me a sense of the, um, <laughs> you know, speaking off the record, so yeah, no, yeah. One's, yeah, sure. no, no one's listening, no one's to, listening yeah, to this. Yeah, fair enough. No one, no one listens to the Pure Property <laughs> Podcast, Paul Glossop. <laughs> Might get the uh, – uh, anyway, um, what – is it hyper-aggressive between buyers? And, like you talk about camaraderie, right? Mm. Like is it, is it true genuine camaraderie or is there a fair bit of like angst? Mate, I, I can't tell you any buyers agents or – agency owners mm. that I know that I have any bad blood with. I, I couldn't so so the game one. is fair? Oh, in my opinion, yes, yeah. absolutely. Like at times it frustrates the heck out of us mm. as as a company when we get outbid by, you know, essentially by other buyer's agents on property that we know is is the right property at the correct price. And then all of a sudden someone's paid 30 grand more and we mm. say, well, it hasn't even gone to market. This, and they'll come back and say, XYZ buyer's agent just bought it. And I'm like, well, it frustrates me because I, I want to reach out to whoever bought it and say, we had this secured at this until you came in and paid X amount more for it. So you get um, scuppered because some other buyer's agents are prepared to pay more than what we are. And, you know, we've talked, we, I use this throwaway analogy a lot of the time, the John West analogy. It's, it's <laughs> the, the ones we reject that make salmon. pure property yeah. the best. And, yeah. It's frustrating, but you know, at times you, this is what you deal with. And and in in really red hot markets, I find a lot of the time people pay whatever is being asked just mm. to get the property secured before it hits the market. So as well. so you know, all's fair in love and war, right? Mm. If you think you're onto a a, a true off market property, then some other buyer's agent picks it up for thirty k more, for yep. example. They were, it's not really off market. That means you've got an agent competition, in there trading exactly. and transacting. So it's not really off market. That's no, just, it's pre market. It's it's a pretty good question. But well, when I say pre market or off market, the definition for me off market is that I mean this has been talked about to, to pre platform. Yeah, but never going to go to platform. Yeah, that's off market. Like it's essentially opportunistic from an agent who's just had a, a essentially a listing meeting with a potential seller mm. to say, hey, if I had a buy for you on this property because they might have attended an open home to maybe want to downsize or upsize or something else. They say, if I had a buy for you with no conditions and they were going to give you a price that you were happy with and you didn't have to go through marketing, et cetera, would you sell it? And they say, yes. And say, okay, sign this 30-day agency agreement. If I can do it, it's done. If not, we're not going to advertise. We're never going to list the property and we'll just forget this conversation ever happened. That happens a lot. That happens an awful lot. And it happens on probably a good half the properties we buy are people who potentially weren't necessarily considering selling. They're just opportunities. They're just goes. saying, look, if you can make it as no fuss as possible, I don't want to advertise. I don't want to open homes. I don't want to have to dress the property. I don't want to have to kick my tenants out to actually go and do random things the property I want to buy as is, where is. And I'm, I'm happy to sell it at a cheaper price to deal with that. The amount of people who are prepared to sell under those conditions to sell at a cheaper price off market. Now, just because more than one person's looking at it doesn't mean it's not off market. Pre-market is essentially, hey, this is going to go to market in March. We'll give you a chance to look at it in February. If you pay what we want now, we won't take it to market. That's pre-market. Mm. But 
essentially that's what we also want to avoid. The biggest thing though, if I'm honest about the, I guess the competition side of things is that yes, it's frustrating when another buyer's agent buys a property that we're looking at that we thought we had at a price. What we don't do is we don't we don't renegotiate. So if an agent says to us, look, you had it at five, we'd say an offer at 525. They say that because they're waiting for us to say, we'll give you 530. Once you say that, that agent knows they've got us covered all the time. So every single time that that conversation happens, we say, good luck to them. That's where the conversation ends. It's very mm. frustrating because the next conversation is us calling our client saying, you know, that property we just had, we don't have it. We're not going to pay more. Unfortunately, it's very frustrating. We're back to the drawing board. We're not going to say, hey, someone else has offered 525. We still think it's good value if we bought it at 530. What do you think? That conversation yeah. does mm. not happen. So I've thought a lot about this recently, uh, sort of agent tactics, right? And and I sort of asked the question, do agents prefer to work directly with a buyer rather than a buyer's agent? I reckon the probably answer is yes, right? Because all of the experience and skills of the, the art or the craft that is buyer's agent. So they agents will, will, will try and go around a, a buyer's agent, particularly in a hot market, in, yep. in a market where they can't sell anything. They're, yep. they're their best friends, right? Absolutely. So it's horses for courses in the market. But where a buyer's agent's involved, I know agents get a lot more frustrated with it, as does the vendor, because normally their demands are a lot higher than what, a lot more sophisticated than what a normal non-buyer's agent buyer would be using. So, mm. you know, it, it, it's really, really tough. But the, the the point here is around negotiating is that agents, good agents, have a different set of skills for selling through buyer's agents uh, than what they do directly to a buyer. Mm. And they're very good at um, trading buyer's agents off each other because they're just another buyer, really. And they know that the buyer's agent, the cynic in me would say the buyer's agent uh, is incentivized to close the deal because they're obviously getting a fee for service from 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 the client, right? Mm. So they know that the buyer's agent has done all this work and if they don't do the deal, mm. they've got to do all that work again. So it starts becoming a lot less economical for 100%. the buyer's agent as a business. So yep. what you're saying is you just go, no, nah, is it a blanket thing going, we won't, we won't negotiate? We don't negotiate with terrorists. <laughs> <laughs> well, not that agents are terrorists. You said that. Some of them are. <laughs> and, that, and a lot of them would call us very similar things. It's a point that it's gets not raised what I a lot. It's not what I want to talk to you about no, today. I know, I know. It wasn't the intention. But yeah. I like this because I think a lot of people, no doubt, are listening to this podcast and will have listened to hundreds of other podcasts in this same vernacular about buyer's agents, where's the value? What do mm. they actually do? Are they working in my interest? Are they not? And and it's easy to be a cynic. It's easy to look at it and say, well, you know, ultimately I'm engaging you, you present me a property. If that's the first property you sent me and I say, yes, I pay you a fee. And let's say that happens within five days of me signing up. How much work have you actually done? Well, I can, I can attest to the fact that we've been in this game for over a decade and we've bought about two and a half thousand properties and we buy investment properties. We don't buy homes for people to live in. We don't charge a percentage. And we typically are never after someone who's going to buy one property and never speak to us again. We're in the game of repeat clients. And and I say that, the reason why I say that is because if we don't get an outcome which is going to result in an equity gain over a period of time or a result that we know someone couldn't necessarily have gotten themselves, 
then we're never going to get that client to want to have a conversation with us again selfishly. We want clients to buy as many properties as they can to fulfill their financial objectives. And seldomly is one property ever going to fulfill a financial outcome over the long term. That's the game that we're in. So we say no because we want to be in a position where we have that conversation with that client two years, three years, 10 years later, which we do as part of our annual catch-ups to say that property we bought then is now worth X. And if we paid overs, 10% overs, 5% overs, 2% overs, then 12 months later, 24 months later, that conversation isn't a tremendous one. The conversation they have with their bank or broker about the equity they have isn't a great one. And it leads to us not only not having that client on side, but then all the other things that we get, accolades, reviews, feedback, essentially referrals from that client to other people, they just don't happen. And as we know, the best clients for us are either clients who come back to buy a second, fourth, mm. eighth property or them saying to their friends, family, you should really reach out to Pure Property because they've done a great job for us. So to summarize that, what you're saying is that what you do for a living and the service you provide has a long tail. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. And that yeah. tail can be a bad Really, really aggressive yeah. rattlesnake. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, can, it can work both yeah, ways. Viper. As well. So, and and you know, a lot of, and 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 this is this is property in a nutshell because unless you're trading in property, and if you're trading in property, it becomes a business. You pay GST and all that sort of yep. stuff. So most people we're talking to aren't trading in property. No. They they're, they're property investors creating wealth through it. But um, the tail of property is long. Um, if you buy poorly, you have a long tail and you get stuck. Uh, if you buy well. Mm. You have a long tail because normally you have continuity or, or, or longevity in your ability to buy more properties, and that's what you're talking about there. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you get the front end wrong, cut the head off the snake, mm. snake analogy, yeah, yeah. you know, um, you get that wrong, it's just going to wither away and die, right? Yeah, yeah I, I get it. Yeah. So, so, so you, you're not – so you look. You, you guys play the long game. We have, have to. to. We have yeah. to. And and I mean, just literally as, as we sort of set up for this podcast, I was on a meeting with a client who were – going through a strategy, trying to figure out where to and what to next, and mm. the conversations leaning between buying commercial or buying more residential to eventually maybe look at a commercial asset in four, five, six years, close towards retirement, closer income, and then also talking about the difference between they've got a, a balance and they're currently setting up an SMSF, does commercial sit within the SMSF and we keep buying resi in there? That conversation's only happening because we've bought three other assets over the last four years with that client in multiple markets, and they've all done it very well, mm. and we do that to, to then say, have that additional catch up. Now, I'm not going to have that conversation, very detailed strategy about where to and what to next, unless we've got an outcome one, two, three times prior, because we just don't have the the pull in the game to have yeah. any credence in that conversation anyway. Yeah, and that, that's tough. So, okay, well, it's it's important to get this right. Yeah. You know, that's the key thing. And, and um, when you think about how people buy property uh, and the vehicles they use to do it, like most people, it's sort of owner-occupied, stuff. They start off, then they start investing in property in their personal names. They move into some sort of trust when their serviceability gets tight and they can continue to grow. I, I don't know. I, I'll chat to you about it another time, but um, mate, banks are um, banks are really in transient at the moment negotiating on rates inside of trusts. Mm. It's a tough one. And also within self-managed super funds, and that's yep. what I want to chat to you today about because um, I like covering self-managed super fund investing. Yeah, my, my, I guess my, my job here at Momentum Markets is I'm the managing editor of financial services and, and real estate. So I sort of, that has been put a foot in both camps. Now, most people who invest inside of their self-managed super fund typically invest in other asset classes, uh, not property. Um, 
about 10 years ago, it was, it was the opposite. Everyone yep. seemed to have property inside of their self-managed super fund and there was a few uh, snakes and charlatans around um, setting up self-managed super funds for people and, and putting new build houses into it and it was a frenzy of activity there for a period of time and mm. it didn't necessarily attract the um, – the, uh, the the type of professionals that you need in the industry to make yep. sure consumers are getting the best outcome. Um, a lot of lenders tighten up around it. It got to a point where only about two or three lenders lent in self-managed super uh, for, for property and their rates were ex- exorbitant. Sort of changed about two, three years ago and they come back to sort of more competitive markets while everyone else was getting sort of owner-occupied stuff at two and a bit percent and maybe investor stuff at, you know, low threes. You could borrowing your super fund for about 5%. Yep. Um, uh, and that's obviously gone north in line with uh, the changes in interest rates. But um, property, again, is a level of attractiveness uh, inside of your self-managed super fund. There's more of it's happening. I know you have property in your self-managed super fund. I also have property inside of my self-managed super fund. I also have shares and other stuff as yep. well um, to diversify it. But um, most people's mindset with a self-managed super fund property is to put it in there and just let it incubate for – 20, 30, 40 years potentially. Yeah, paid off. Um, paid off, pull it out, and then, you know, either either live off the uh, the income it generates, uh, completely unencumbered, because uh, most people have P&I inside of their super fund. Um, so if you've got your property in there for 30 years, you probably own it by the end of it, uh, and then that would just provide you whatever the rent is at that point um, uh, distributed out of your super fund to you as income and retirement. Fair enough, which you may complement or supplement with, with some other retirement earnings, whatever you might, you might have debentures or whatever inside of your super fund or, or any other income generation and all the pension. But I, I've, I've seen people do this, and I know you're doing this, where you actually actively trade inside of your self-managed super fund. Mm. Mm. So it's not really a, a passive approach at all. It's a it's a very active approach to investing in your super fund. And and maybe if you're happy to share you know, some of your numbers, it might set us up with a, a, a bit of a scaffold to be able to talk about you know, trading inside of your SMSF as a tactic. Yeah, absolutely. For getting stuff done. And, and again, it's going to be a timing thing, yep. you know, uh, how long you've been at it, you know. You're probably in your 30s, mid-30s by the time you could probably start Agreed. really, really buying yep. properly inside of your super fund. Yeah. Um, if you just don't have the the, the, the balance. The balance. Yeah. And, and I think for, I mean, for anyone who's listening who's, you know, in their 20s or even in their teens, um, you might be thinking, yawn. Mm. You know, this is, I'm going to go to the next episode because this one's just not for me. I can tell you that if you're looking for something that's as impactful and opportunistic, this is probably a space that I've found, you know, whether it's property, whether it's resi, whether it's commercial, having, taking some sort of interest in this space is going to pay you dividends and your future self will 100% thank you. And it's unfortunately just too often only thought about in 40s, 50s and 60s. And unfortunately, once you get back to the back end of that, you know, part pension or full pension age, it, it becomes pretty hard to say, how do you make a difference? So if I look at myself and my wife's position, you know, we started off you know, our, our careers in a, in a pretty traditional way where most people do. We, we both got educated, finished university, went abroad and spent all our money and essentially had no, no money, no super. I did uh, countless amounts of part-time work when I was a youngster, similar to you, Phil. Um, and super was not something that ever really got paid into, nor was it meaningful until I got 
probably my first role in a career where it was paying me a salary, which was enough to start to contribute into a super fund. Now, we had an industry super fund, my wife or girlfriend, then wife at the time, which built up and built up to a point where we asked the question to our accountant quite regularly and going to your point, Phil, it's probably not necessarily an age, but it's more a bank balance mm. or a super balance, which starts to define whether property starts to feature in a conversation. And that conversation, depending on which accountant you speak to and which property type, and pathway you want to go down usually means that collectively or individually, if you've got a balance of circa 150 to 200, that starts to be the conversation piece about where you can actually do something with that bank balance, which can then allow you to leverage into property. Now, that's where I started to really take attention or take notice and, and pay attention to what this all meant. And that was probably this was quite some time ago when we were in that that position where I still left our our fund probably in an industry fund a decade ago when it was at a point where I could have done something with it. And then it got to the point about four or five years later where my knowledge in property well surpassed anything else into how to create wealth. And by that time, our balance in our industry funds was a couple hundred grand, maybe a little bit more. And that was probably five, six years ago. And I got to the point where I realized that leveraging into property was going to deliver me a far better return if I looked at the last 20 years of interest and, and compound returns in our fund. So that got to the point with starting the super fund. So I'm not going to go through the boredom of how and where we establish that. If people want to know how, where, and, and what to do to establish the super fund, happy from the reach out to us and I can steer them into the direction of people who are professionals in that space and give them all the advice they need. That's certainly not going to be me. But once we had our super fund set up and we had a balance of about 220 odd thousand collectively between my wife and I, we looked at it and thought, okay, the intention there was to say, I'm not going to buy a property, i.e. put 20% deposit and buy a $600,000 property, let's say with 5% for stamp duty closing costs, a bit of cash left over to repairs and maintenance and essentially just pay it off for the rest of my working career. That wasn't the intention because we're doing that outside of our SMSF. We're doing it in passive investments, commercial investments, developments, et cetera. For me, this was no intention of being passive. There was ways to make money in this, which was going to be far more active. So we looked at that and thought, okay, we've got that balance and we knew markets. Well, I looked at established the markets that we knew were going to grow rapidly in a shorter period of time. That got leveraged pretty quickly into two assets in the Tassie market. This was going back a good six, seven years. Two assets, about 700 or grand from memory, we bought into. They were about 300-ish, give or take, I think, that we bought into. Both those properties were leveraged uh, at, a, at 80% LVR um, and were about neutrally geared at the time. So they were, uh, give or take, plus minus, we are contributing still into our fund. So we're probably putting 20, 30, 40 grand into our super fund via our salaries, pay myself a salary through the business. That gets put into our super fund. That covers all your holding costs, plus keeps building up your fund. Fast forward four or five years or three or four years rather, the markets that we bought in there, those properties of circa starting balance of $700,000 purchase price turned into about $1.2 million purchase, of, sorry, sale price or value at the time. And I looked at it in the sense that we go back to 2021, 2022, those properties in those markets had a great run and we saw it and we look at it and say, look, is there the opportunity within the Tassie markets, and I won't go specific into where we bought, was those opportunities going to mean that that $1.2 million in value was going to turn into 2.4 in the next 10 years? Or was it likely that that money would work harder elsewhere? And we came to the conclusion pretty quickly to say, hey, the, the opportunity's probably already passed. We've got the maximum out of this orange. It's been squeezed. We've got all the juice. 
what we can do here is we can say, let's just leave it and give it 25 years until we're at a retirement age and do something with it. Or do we sell it, take the profit, pay a little bit of tax, a little bit of tax, not all the tax we pay in our personal name because it's a self-managed super fund. Tax is treated a bit differently and a lot more advantageous. So capital gains. Capital gains tax. Yeah. Um, and we, we took that option. So we've gone from 1.2 sell Take uh, what we had was about circa was about a bit bit more than four hundred grand's worth of debt. As you're going through these numbers too quickly, so just say you put two hundred into it. Yep, six hundred grand or seven hundred grand odd in, in property. So the, that bought you seven hundred k two properties, right? Yep. So yep. so, so five hundred ish grand. Yeah. Yep. So for, you're five hundred k in debt. Yeah. Yep. Debt sold at circa one point two. Okay. So so you went from seven hundred to one point two. Yep. In value. Yep. Okay. 50-odd grand in sales costs. Yep. So, say, 1.15. So, we've got about 650. So, you got your original 200 plus your 600. And then pay another 50-odd grand in tax that yeah. was there as well. Okay. So, there's about 600 left over. Over what time was that? About five years. Okay. So, so you turned 200 to 600. Yeah, so you three years. extra money in five years. Yeah. Now, that that was this is, goes back to where my knowledge was and the ability was. Now, so, this so, is so, actively so on that trading. basis then, say you're putting maximum contributions for two people. It depends every year, but yep. call it what it is now. It's 55, 55 grand. grand. So it's pretty much you doubled your super contributions every year through the equity that you got exactly. to uplift. Yep. yep. In, in real simple terms. Real you, simple you terms. Doubled, yeah. You doubled your super. Doubled the super. Yep. yep. Yeah, absolutely. So doubled yep. the super in that time. So the balance then therefore became 600-odd K. Now, mm. this was uh, started last year or somewhere there or thereabouts. Now, I know this this time last year, Phil, you and I launched, uh, was a bit later, we launched the Fast 50 report, which Correct. we looked at, and, and my team and, and your team did a lot of work to say, look, which markets do we see are best poised for growth? I hear the next version's coming out soon. Very soon. <laughs> but but I guess to attest to that, I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to put my money where my mouth is here. And I did it yeah, a little bit silently. I thought, well, I've just done this intentionally to free this money up and put this money into the next market where I see opportunity. So that money got leveraged and still is getting leveraged into four assets, um, worth circa two point four ish million dollars. At the point, at the point of sale, at the point of of purchase, yeah, yeah. correct. And yeah. and one of those is still yet to settle, which I had a six month settlement on, which settles in about three weeks time. The rest were bought very well before end of last financial year. Okay, so with that much money, and now in the fast future report, they're all in Perth. They were. Yeah, they okay. are. They are. They are. And and I can very comfortably say that that two point four. Mm. And and this probably goes back to what you and I were speaking about early in the piece when we before we got into the SMSF conversation, is that each one of those properties I bought through my buyer's agent team. They put the property in front of me. I, I looked at it for about all of eight to ten minutes. Looked at the numbers. Looked at the location. Let a very look, look, quick look at comparables. Knew how hot those markets were, and said yes. And I told my team what my brief was, and they essentially presented me with properties. Did you get a discount yes, on the buyer's yes, agent's fee? Yes, I, I, I did. Yeah. I did. <laughs> that is one of the perks about owning and running a business. Because <laughs> that would be a tax deduction, though, inside it, of yours. It would have been. No, yeah. I could have charged, I definitely could have charged myself a, a small fee. Mm. Um, wouldn't have been too much of an advantage because I still would have had to have paid some, um, some money, income tax right? on yeah. that, unfortunately, yeah, some true. company tax. Yeah. But that being said, so 2.4 leveraged into, uh, well, there was, it was, again, 80% plus. Well, twenty percent deposit, five percent closing costs. Mm. So it's about circa one point seven, one point eight million dollars in debt on that two point four, and that two point four has comfortably, in some markets, done twenty five percent in the last eight to ten months. I've got one property which was a six month settlement, which will settle as a three hundred seventy thousand dollars purchase price. It's got a valuation of five fifty right now. I've got a six month settlement on it. 
that 2.4 is worth pretty close to $3 million. It will be worth $3 million within the next couple of months. Okay. So you got another 600K uplift there. Yep. So that's another 600 plus your original 600. So you're in for 1.2. Yeah. Plus and- goes back to starting point six years ago was 200. Yeah. So I guess what I'm trying to get at here is is where my portfolio and the active process of an SMSF, trading SMSF assets, mm-hmm. not focusing on cash flow. Um, yeah, this could be done actively in, in the shares, equities, markets, just the same way. The difference here is leverage. Yeah. So my position of 200 grand got me into 600 or 700 grand's worth of assets. The 700 grand's worth of assets increased to $1.2 million in assets. The money came off the table, left me back with 600 grand in cash. That again got re-leveraged into $2.4 million in assets, which is now worth close to $3 million. By the end of this year, I dare say it would be worth $3 million comfortably. Now, the choice could be to say, do I actively trade that? I have no intention of holding all of those properties in that market forever mm. or even into retirement age. I will again actively trade those properties at some stage. And what we've taken then is within a very short period of time by being somewhat proactive, and there's definitely no shortage of work that goes into doing this, by the way. This isn't simply, hey, let's buy that, let's sign this. And There is a lot of work and a lot of finagling and ongoing. There is obviously building my portfolio and it's, I've got a, a lot of property elsewhere and a lot of active property elsewhere. It is work and it's certainly something that doesn't come for free. But what I've tried to probably very quickly allude to is that if you've got a balance that is meaningful enough, you can, given the assets are selected correctly, you can trade that into something that becomes quite meaningful quite quickly without saying, I buy one and I pay it off. This is, mm. And I could have s- s- sat there and said that the Tasmanian assets initially were all that I needed and all that I could have. If I chose not to trade them, they would still sit there at about the same value they were about three years ago. So the important point that you made there was the sentence given that you acquired the assets properly. So uh, you said, sounds great, looks great, and I know this is how it's worked, but uh, yeah, well, you know, you're a buyer's agent. Mm. You know, of course you're going to know where to buy. You know, not many people do this. Like they buy the wrong property, and, and the type of properties you're buying are probably a bit different than what you would be buying outside of your um, super because a lot of restrictions around you can't manufacture um, you can't manufacture equity inside of properties sitting inside of your sort of super fund. You can do repairs and maintenance, mm. but you can't do extensions. You can't do major renovations. You can only sort of do it for repairs and maintenance. So most people are buying newer properties inside of their super funds yeah. um, for, for, for that purpose, plus um, minimizing uh, maintenance costs. So yeah, yeah, it's great if you can find the right assets and you know where those assets are and where to look for it, but most people don't. Mm. It's, it's exactly right, mate. But I, I, I think, if I'm honest, that the strategy and philosophy is is what what works outside of super typically works quite well in the super if you're buying correct assets for the right reasons. And when mm-hmm. I say that, if you're not an active developer, renovator, subdivider, granny flat builder, you're looking to buy properties in areas which are undervalued in areas which have relatively limited supply going through a correct transition and the correct time in their cycle, et cetera, et cetera. And, and the yield based on the cash flow on your position is going to be affordable to hold it both short-term and long-term. Mm. Even if the property needs a lick of paint or new carpet to get it to a livable, habitable standard, 
those properties will work in your SMSF. They yeah, but certainly, that's okay inside of, like you if it needs it, that's okay. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you I guess this goes back to being somewhat pragmatic about how do you structure your SMSF and and the reason why there's ASIC requirements in your SMSF to keep certain amounts of cash as a percentage of your portfolio there mm. is also there for that reason is that typically it's somewhere between 5 and 10% of your portfolio value has to be kept in cash. Um, it's for these reasons, because if you have one asset that needs repairs and maintenance, or you have 10 assets, repairs and maintenance at the same time, obviously you need more cash yeah. for more assets. But I think when it comes down to it, yeah, you select the correct assets, you do make educated decisions on, hey, that property is probably going to need a fresh lick of paint and new air conditioner in the next five years. That one's going to be okay for probably seven to 10 years. That one may be more sooner than that. Sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes within six months, everything goes wrong. Yeah. And sometimes over a three-year period, nothing goes wrong. Um, it, this comes back down to just having your cash flows managed and having that buffer in place, very similar to outside of SMSF. Yeah. So I've bought all of those properties with a similar mantra in mind to say, I want growth. And the properties may need a little bit of work here and there. None of those properties are new or even near new. They're all on decent blocks of land. Some are on very large blocks of land, but they're on there for, for growth. And the beauty about Perth, as and when I bought those properties and even now, I've got one property in there that's on half an acre zoned R100, which effectively is the equivalent of New South Wales R, R4, which is high density. That that property could yield circa 80 units. You can't develop that, though. I cannot develop that. You'd no, have to correct. sell it to another vehicle in order to- Exactly. To and I have no intention of developing it, nor yeah. do I have intention of setting up a trust and selling it to that trust and developing that property. But I have intention of holding might. a wedge of yeah. land. But that property, I guess yeah. what I was trying to get to that point, that property was bought for $372 odd thousand dollars, mm. is renting right now for 480 a week. The yield's north of 6%. Now, yeah, I could hold that for 20 years. I could hold half an acre of high-density zoned assets in an area that's going to see continued growth, which is 600 metres from the beach, basically next to a train station. There's not much that I have to do. Yeah, I might have a bit of a pain in the butt because it's fibro and it's you know, a bit of a how's-it-going how's it type of property as far mm. as conditions concerned, but I'm happy to take that because it's already seen about 120 grand's worth of growth in about a three-month period of time. Yes, it's a correct time in the cycle for that property, but the yield will be enough for me to just sit there and be pragmatic. Again, though, it will probably be a property that will get traded at some stage yeah. and then recycle that. Yeah, well, so some developer will buy it in time. and Potentially. Yeah, good luck to them. Yep. You know, happy days. So... Um, Sounds good from a manufacturing of capital play, but but what's the cash flow play on this? Is what, mm. what, what's your interest rates? These are good questions because it's certainly not positively geared. The, mm. the portfolio is is slightly negative, probably to the tune of ten to twelve grand a year across all assets. Interest rates are high sevens, yeah, um, you know, with a, a limited amount of lenders who would give me what I needed. And I worked through the, the team at Finney who specialise in SMSF structures to give me that because that's something that I definitely didn't go down the pathway of some of the majors that I have my other loans with, they wouldn't entertain this conversation. So mm. using my broker and using their expertise to get me there. But the, the rates are still probably a good point above what I'd be getting outside of SMSF. Now, I contribute. I intend to continue to contribute to my SMSF along with my wife for the continuation of our working career. So we are building up our buffers. We're still building up more cash and that will be there to, to cover the shortfall because obviously there's no negative gearing benefits to be negative in this super fun portfolio really within reason. I don't have depreciation, et cetera. So yeah. all those things I forego. However, uh, I guess the intention, Phil, is to say at some stage, I'll probably transition out of these properties in the SMSF. And the intention is I'll transition not necessarily to keep 
buying more assets that are going to grow in value. At some stage, I want an income. Yeah. And it won't be the same properties that got me to where I am now or potentially where I'll be in five, 10 years in the SMSF. It'll be different properties, which I intend to then transition to, which will be more income, potentially commercial. And I potentially might even take some of that off the table in a much lower risk and just go down the pathway of dividend yielding ETFs and other things, which I might outsource to someone who has far more expertise at that point in time. But that's not now because mm. I want leverage now. So you're getting the leverage and you're getting the capital growth, albeit it's costing you money to hold these properties. So you're so so it's not a self-sufficient self-managed no. super fund. So your contributions are, are, are covering the holding costs Correct. to control the capital growth. That's exactly it. And that's yeah. where there is, there is certainly risk involved because mm. if I didn't contribute, or if I stopped contributing and I continue to hold the property, eventually my, my balance would get whittled down and I'd be forced to sell. Mm. And I guess that's the benefit of having a very strong position of where equity sits and knowing those numbers to know which properties, if I need to sell or if I plan to sell, knowing which ones I'll get rid of to build up those buffers. So have you worked out the threshold of do you need to do maximum contributions for, for both you and your wife in order to control this equity play, or if you dial that down to uh, whatever you pay yourself, yep. whatever the contribution, so you're not paying maximum contributions, do you have to pay max? No, in order? no, no okay. far from it, far from okay. it. Okay, so you no. can dial that up and down. Yeah, we can dial to. that up and down, and that's yeah. that's probably another benefit too. Is, as So your yeah. minimum contributions would satisfy- They would. The hunger of this portfolio to manage it. Correct. Yeah. So yeah. my salary and the, con the minimum contributions aligned to my salary and my wife's salary will, mm. will probably double what's needed to there, which also means that I'm building up the buffers yeah. to cover any unexpected repairs, maintenance that go with that as well. And that's being a, a responsible borrower and a responsible investor, I believe, as well, is that I'm not going to put myself nor my family in a position where you build this portfolio up to just gear it to the max mm. and expect that it'll only ever be growth days there'd be no down days. Yeah. Um, you need to have that and you need to keep building that. And that's the intention. So that's a more active approach to self-managed super fund asset creation. Um, and to my earlier point, you find that certain types of uh, investment companies are very active inside of self-managed super fund stuff and they'll be selling, um, inverted commas, recommending um, – <laughs> Uh, like dual key yeah. properties up in Brizzy, right? Put yeah. it in your super fund, yeah. you know, and they'll be okay. giving you all the numbers based on, um, you know, 100% uh, vacancy yeah. and uh, interest rates as they are. And yep. you, you don't get all the depreciation benefits and all no, that sort of no, stuff. No, no, you definitely of, don't. You know, and, and there's a lot There's a lot of those products, right? Yeah. There's a lot of those products. Um, uh, good, good when, you know, market's tight yes. uh, and they're not building enough uh, stuff, but... Again, these things change, but I know a lot of people, we probably know a lot well, we of the same people who, who have bought this stuff and have had to extrapolate themselves out of yep. it because it's not necessarily the right yielding stuff. No, and, and, and seldomly do we see it work. I and mean, we look at it so many times. For We've had these sort of similar conversations in that space for almost a decade, you and I, mm. behind microphones talking about what's worked, what hasn't worked. And it's... Uh, it starts to sound quite boring and repetitive, but you know what, what's got you here from a property standpoint, what's got me here will likely get me to the next step. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much a line and length player when it comes down to property is that I, I know what's worked in the past and based on what we see, what's worked in the past for the most part will work again in the future. And that's resi, that's commercial, mm. that's development sites, that's all these things in sundry. And it's hard to figure out how to find different ways because- Property is not that complicated, and when it starts to be, you got to ask questions. Well, the the, the biggest um, question mark for you as part of 
this tactical application that you're you're implementing here inside of your Superman Super Fund, that's actively training in it. Is that yeah, it sounds like you got it right buying in Hobart. Yes, it sounds like you got it right in Perth. Is there going to be another Perth and a Hobart? Well, if we look at the best part of uh, 45, 50 years worth of data, mm. there's pretty much every five years there's been an equivalent Hobart, an equivalent Perth, an somewhere. equivalent Brisbane. There's been there somewhere. I, I, I'm not going to be – I'll put my hand up. I'm not going to actively try to find a regional remote town that might be the next one. I shan't be doing that. Mm. But I will be and, – and I'll probably be diversifying a little bit. Previously with SMSF, I've just said, like, okay, I'll pick this market, go in, get active, get out. It'll likely mean that because the size of the portfolio will then allow me to probably diversify a little bit and be a little bit less transactional, it'll be intentionally there. But if I if I look at my own portfolio outside of that, within trusts, within unit trusts, within personal names, active sites, passive stuff that we hold outside of SMSF, that's spread across the eastern seaboard um, and that's, that's different assets as well. Mm. So I look at this as an active arm, but this is certainly not the only arm in property. And I like this also... There's other reasons which we haven't necessarily explored, but you know, for me, I, I'm very active outside of my SMSF. The beauty about my SMSF, it doesn't impact what I do outside of that from a serviceability standpoint, being non-recourse lending. So this is a way for me to explore options, but it also means that it doesn't impact other things as well, which is a very, very big benefit for leveraging your SMSF done correctly. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Um, there's, there's positive negatives investing inside your on a super fund, the point around sort of... Um, it's it's isolated in a bubble, non-recourse lending. So if, if it all goes wrong inside of your self-managed super fund, they're not going to come after you yeah. outside Can, of your super fund. It's, just, it's pretty much you cop it and you, you, yep. you, you burn your, your, yeah. your superannuation, right? You do. Hence the reason why it's quite heavily regulated Absolutely. by and the Australian be. government. Yeah. By the Australian government. One, one of the one of the, the challenges investing inside of your self-managed super fund is that you, you never know what you're going to get when you get a new government, mm. you know, and, and you, you see it all the time. They... They start going after self-managed super fund investees, uh, you know, trustees, um, trying to change the rules around how people are taxed. And, you know, you see this, these lobbyists all the time trying to get stuff grandfathered and yep. you never know, depending who the government is yep. of the day. Um, the current government having a good old They're going to have a crack. Well, they're, I mean, they're, they're, they're robbing Peter to pay Paul, for lack of a better term, mm. if we're looking at different ways of income tax being cut. You know, there's money that's coming out of the – government coffers, you know, the reality is the conversations that are happening are saying, well, this has to be repatriated in another form. Yeah. That that other form will come to light probably within the next six months leading up to election periods that are coming up after that as well. But I think, I think it probably goes back to- But by the way, Sorbonne Super Superfund trustees is massive, right? It's like- yeah. Huge. Heaps. Enormous. There's a huge amount of money inside. It's, it's I, one I, of the yeah, biggest three pools yeah, of money that yeah, they got yeah, to yeah. work with. So yeah. we know I, that I, it's going to be tinkered. I, I think now that- um, uh, investable assets inside of sort of super funds is bigger than retail and industry funds as a as an individual cohort. Like yeah. there's a and lot of growing. dough, so a lot of dough inside of sort of super funds. Yeah, exactly. You know? And I, I guess what I I get to though, Phil, is that we can we can lose sleep about or imagine if they started taxing this differently or they didn't give me that concession when I sold and all of a sudden mm. from a ten percent. Uh, capital gains tax I pay within that they're going to lobby me at or tax me at fifty percent. These things could happen. I'm not mm. suggesting that what's there is going to stay there, but what I'm investing is what I know now and what I can control. And if I worried about all these other things, hot tip, I probably wouldn't have done anything. Yeah. And there are so many people, and sorry for pointing out people who are listening to this and you probably is going to penny drop at the moment where you might be one of those people who are like, well, but this could happen and that could happen. Yes, it could. 
100% a lot of things can happen. In the last four or five years, there are a lot of things that have happened in this world that I personally would have never suggested I thought would I would live through, but they have happened. And here we are four or five years later having conversations about property and property has continued to perform. We continue to make money and there will be other ways because typically out of outcomes, there's new resolutions and new ways that all of a sudden become opportunistic and this will be the way. So you can fret about the unknown, but um, yeah, I like to be more proactive than, than, than essentially reactive or sitting on the sidelines. Yeah. And that's probably the only thing you can do is control the stuff you can control because- yeah. Yeah, I've, I've got quite a lot of shares inside of my um, self-managed super fund. I've had a run lately. Yeah, had a run. <laughs> <laughs> That's do, I've, got, much I've still got a few, Phil, because we like better. to talk, talk smack about yeah. a few of those. And <laughs> I've got some dogs things. in there still. Oh, they're, 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 they, they won't get out of the kennel. They will no. remain. And yeah, this is the thing right? we talk about. I've actually actively set up a fund for my son the other day because he got a bit of birthday cash and he wanted to buy some random things with it and talk about, okay, well, maybe this is an opportunity to invest in some things. So let what, him lose. What did he buy? Uh, well, this isn't this isn't advice, nor yeah. is this recommendations. I, I believe he bought WeeBit Technologies and CSL. Um, <laughs> CSL. So, so one was opportunistic, a little bit uh, micro or mm. mid, uh, small cap, and then CSL being one of our biggest companies in the country, but yeah. um, maybe slightly undervalued. But I, I guess my point with that is that I wanted him to start at a young age, doing his research. I didn't I didn't suggest what he should buy, or shouldn't buy. It was a very small amount of money, mm. but. Also, my point with this is, hey, buddy, when you buy this, we're not touching this for six six months, regardless how it performs. You can look at it, you can read stuff, you can learn. It's a small amount of money. Mm. The intention here is that you start to realize that you need to stay informed because if you're not, this is a mugs game. How did you do it? Did you just set up a sub account? To I, like I set it? up a sub account on mine. So yeah, obviously, yeah. I'm going to forego a whole bunch of tax, et cetera, if you ever choose to sell it, but it was a small for enough a amount. $50. Uh, yeah, uh, this uh, is the point where I, it's actually, yeah. I actually, I always, I told him for a long time that we'd do this and I just wanted him to start exploring. And my mm. daughter will probably do the same thing soon as well. It's, it's no way, shape, or form to make money. It's, it's look, hopefully they do make a little bit of money and they learn, but it's the lessons that come out of it very quickly. Jeez, I tell you what, the amount of attention they pay to things, which once you know, a little bit of finances are involved and you say, look, you can, I, I try to resort to very minimal screen time unless it's controlled in my house. But when it is, I can say, look, you can jump on there. You can do your research on there. You can look at some YouTube clips here as long as I'm looking at them and look at people and talking about why they see certain things undervalued, over, overvalued, what's going to affect that. It reminds me as to why I just simply do not have the bandwidth nor knowledge to put anywhere near the money yeah. I would in the share space because I just don't my understand My wife would be enough. telling my kids to go down and put it in the pokies. <laughs> <laughs> no, she wouldn't put it in the pokies. She'd put, it, she'd, she'd, put all the, she'd put all the red hots, I reckon. <laughs> there you go. Have the some fun with it. Just spend it. Oh, have some the red fun. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the no red well, it's yeah. the same thing, in my opinion. It's the same <laughs> thing. Hopefully a little bit more informed. But yeah. again, I'll be the one paying the tax on it, no doubt. Yeah. All right. Well, there you go. Well, you know, maybe one day they'll subscribe into your self-managed super fund, unless you guys don't burn it all on overseas holidays when you get to retirement age. Mate, that's the know? plan, unfortunately, for them, is um, I'm going to burn as much of it as I can, not physically and literally. But, you um, should do. Yeah. But this is also one of the benefits of a self-managed super fund. Again, you've got to go and get the right advice from an accountant or some other licensed professionals, but when your kids are old enough to get a job at Macca's and they get paid- That's the time. And they get paid um, uh, super, yeah. they can pay into the super for the family super fund. They, they absolutely can. And yeah, there's different ways to add trustees to the, all these all these wonderful creative things. And yeah, the conversation can start very quickly there. Mm. It's good. All right. Well, that's a, a different lens from which to view- Investing inside of yourself a managed super fund, um, uh, more proactive 
a practical approach rather than just buy one thing, forget about it and worry about it in 30 years' time and maybe get a bit of an income. I don't know. What's one of these? If you bought a $650,000 dual-key property in Brisbane today in 30 years' time and you got it paid off, what's your rent going to be? Well, if it's 700 bucks a week now, um, unfortunately, your costs are probably going to still be well, they're about five grand a year now. Mm. They're also going to be, well, that's that's your council rates, water rates, and then you've got rents, so you've got management fees, circa probably 8 to 10% after you factor in a few additional vacancies, et cetera. You're probably talking, what's that, 35 grand a year minus another 10%. That's about three and a half grand plus five grand. It's about 10 grand a year costs-ish, maybe a little bit more. You're about twenty-two, $23,000 a year gross. Um, if you're working off that at two to 3%, annual rental increases in 20 years' time, that would be just about doubled. It's about 1,500, yeah, yeah, let's call it about about 45 grand a year income yeah. on a dual key. So if you've got 20 years and you want to drop 700 grand on a dual key, thinking you'll pay it off in 20 years' time, live off the income, that's about 50 grand. Mate, let's be generous and let's say 50 grand a year in 20 years' time. Yeah. At yeah. two to three, which is that's the long term averages of rental growth. Yeah, probably, we had probably 10%. get your bag of groceries. Then. It might. Yeah. So I guess hence why none of my not, strategy not, not, not beating up those sort of properties. By the way, I know a lot of people no. done, and, done and well on them. Some can do well. I'm just using it but as an example. If you're buying them to pay them off to pay you an income to retire on that's that income, the point. They, that's the They might be really good now for purchasing for the purpose of tra transacting and trading up. Correct, but then yeah. it goes back to that. Like you've noticed that none of the, what I had that conversation or my strategy there is to say, I want to pay this portfolio off and live off that income because mm. the properties I'm buying there aren't intended to give me an income and nor should people be thinking that those types of properties are really what's going to feasibly get them there to pay it off and yeah, get you to put your feet up on the couch and watch the summer of cricket yeah, every year and mate, relax. But in 20 years' time, there won't be a summer of cricket. I hope there will be. I'm test a... cricket's got to be gone. In... Test cricket, Within 10 the years, there'll be, there'll, be, there'll be no more test cricket in 10 years. There'll be no more test cricket in 10 West Indies beat Australia last week or the week before last. It was amazing. I used to watch it when you used to have Viv Richards in there. But, well, they had Brian Lara was a commentator. He was yeah. there. He was jumping out of his skin. It was it was amazing. And I, 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 thought, I watched that and I thought, man, Test cricket is, is alive and well. Yeah, it'd be dead. It won't, won't exist in 10 years. I, Mate, you'll, you'll have five over this, matches, I think, Ladies in and time. gentlemen, this comes from a man who can't sit through a live game of any sport either, by the way. And when you do, I hear about it because you complain about everything that's possible to complain about. So yeah. do not take any notice of what you're saying about any any sport. Unless and for all of our cricket. listeners, I'm, I'm happy to go and watch live sport in a box somewhere. Yeah, of course you are. That is with, with, with open to offers. Not sparkling wine, champagne. Um, it has to be. It's got to be. It has I, to be I, French, I Bordeaux, <laughs> preferably. You know, I don't, I don't mind it then if... Um, if, if, if I'm distracted from the game, Far and, out. you know. Well, if you um, do get a ticket or anyone does get an offer, make sure that offer comes uh, to myself. I never get also. invited to anything. You, you think I get invited to more being a, you pro both. a property influencer. <laughs> There's no money in property. There's no money in property. No, evidently. Unless it's in your self-managed yeah. super fund. Um, <laughs> uh, um, anyway, all right, if that resonates with people, I'm sure. That, and by the way, um, that nothing we've spoken about here constitutes advice. Um, we're just, you know, talking about Paul's 
journey in his self-managed super fund, uh, to give a bit of an example. But uh, everyone will be very, very different. So you've got to make sure you speak to the right licensed professionals. And I say licensed professionals because there are, inverted commas, unlicensed professionals out there who still duck and dive around this part of the financial investing world. And, Absolutely. Um, and I know some people have blown their dough. So, and I do um, rely on my licensed accountants, financial advisors to give me all the license information that I need to set up and support what I what choices and decisions I make in my SMSF. Yeah, and you've got to be compliant as well. There's a bit of a headache sometimes for self-managed super fund, but there's always some boff in the background that'll sort it all out for you. <laughs> tell you that you're late with yeah, your, your you, audit bill. Sort your audit out. <laughs> Fair out. Two years of audit fees. <laughs> That's all right. But, uh, um, yeah, but to talk to people about this. Uh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's 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 a so it, the system works or worked for you. Well, it's worked. It's worked for. Play. I mean, we've spoken to a couple of my clients on air about this as well. But it mm. certainly works if done correctly. But I think for me, the SMSF in particular is probably a, a bit of a two or three part conversation where it's understanding, then it's going off getting getting that license advice, and then coming back and let's go and execute on the strategy. But yeah, it can be SMSF. It can be non SMSF. I think what we're trying to learn here is that. This isn't a buy, renovate, sell strategy. This is certainly not try to extract equity strategy. Mm-hmm. This is buy correctly, leverage, use it correctly, buy at the right time and maximize it and then exit in this instance when the time is right to then re-leverage elsewhere. And that can be done in personal name. It can be done in trust, can be done outside of SMSF. All right. Well, go and chat to the crew over at Pure Property Investment. Um Ask to speak to one of the good buyers agents, not Paul. Be my, mm. be my recommendation. <laughs> I can give you their number. That's <laughs> not only Paul. Yeah, that's, 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 you got, it's a big, big team. They're growing. We're, we're, we're definitely a growing team, but we try to. I try to not to grow where I don't want to or need to grow. So you grow selfishly because like you've got a fine dining chef, you've got all these other like every job has two jobs, the right? Yeah, I collect what, the people I know who are very good at what do they what, do. What would suit me? Um, let's get um, maybe someone who's into like. Racing cars or somewhere for those track days. Yeah, yeah, track day. You should do a track day. There's a fair few property. I'm actually catching up with. Um, I might actually sling the invite to yourself. I'm catching up with a few people next week who are in the depreciation as well as finance space and. I know two of which do own race cars and do track days on a regular occasion. Oh, really? One of them said they're paying too, and it's at a decent restaurant, so you might be interested in that. Yeah, I went to a restaurant the other day. Yeah, uh, here we go. I, I, I was just doing some. I'll, I'll conclude with this. Just sort of reconciling my credit cards for the month and just going, how do I spend so much money? <laughs> anyway, there was a bill there. I went out for, you'd know the guy I went out with, um, uh, into a, a restaurant in town. Um, seven, it was 750 bucks, right? Dinner for two. For the Uber? No. no. <laughs> Dinner for two. So it was a couple of nice bottles of wine and stuff, right? Steak and whatnot. No chips. So you went out with one person who wasn't your wife mm. and had dinner for two. Yeah. You must know them really well. You must have had a great time. known them for years. Oh, good. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's it can be very awkward. If a conversation doesn't no, go the way it wants and there's no chips involved and you paid seven fifty no for the privilege. No, it's just, you know this guy and he right. loves fried stuff, right? <laughs> and and this, I'm not going to say the, the restaurant, but I'm never going back there again. Like, like order steak tartare. This is like first world problems, right? Steak tartare, you want chips, right? No chips. Mains, steak and chips. No chips. Had some sort of potato rosti type thing, right? No fryer. No oh. fryer. You've got to give the people what they want. <laughs> you, uh, anything about business. Suppose you'd come in with your portable air fryer. I'm pretty sure Makita had a little battery operated. No, I should have. <laughs> but it was like, you've got to give the punters what they want. If you're providing a service, you're a buyer's agent. What, what do people want from you? They, they want they want the they correct want property. They want capital growth. Yeah. 
They want the, they want yeah. the correct property. Yeah. They want yeah. capital growth. That's the chips. <laughs> <laughs> I came to a steak restaurant because I wanted chips. I wanted <laughs> steak and chips. I don't have chips very often. So when I get my chips, I want my chips anyway. If anyone's got a restaurant out there that does uh, Pom the, the festival cholesterol. Yeah. We've talked about this the other day. We have. Yeah, we, we have. have done. Yeah, we I'm have. still angry about this. Yeah, yeah so I'm a simple man. Yeah, yeah. A simple man. Anyway, uh, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Um, Best way to contact you? Purepropertyinvestment.com or you can give us a buzz, one 5428 Email us, inquiry, E-N-Q-U-I-R-Y at purepropertyinvestment.com. All the socials. A lot of our stuff actually goes up on our Instagram page as well. So pure underscore property on Instagram. That's where we push out a lot of our data, a lot of updates, a lot of cuts of things like this podcast mm. and a lot of the actual good stuff, the stuff that you're not talking about, your steak and chips uh, frustrations and yeah. um, other things that result in that. So, yeah, yeah catch yeah, us on everything. Perfect. All right, good one. Uh, thanks for coming in, Paul. Thanks, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Uh, we'll see you next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. 